Hey everybody, it's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. I'm your host. It's great to have you back. Another audio essay today. This time, the minimum wage is a redistribution of wealth. No one can survive on 40 hours a week at minimum wage anywhere in the country. Workers are toiling in poverty despite working full time. Many cannot even afford housing. Let's get into it. Everybody, it's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. On this episode, another audio essay, an essay written for the blog that I also do in audio form so that you can enjoy it either two different ways or in one of the ways that you prefer, whichever makes more sense for you. Today, the minimum wage is a redistribution of wealth. Before we get to that, I want to remind you that all of the work that I do here on the podcast and that I do over at the blog and that I do on my radio show, all of that stuff is powered by your subscriptions. Your paid subscriptions are what make the engine here at uh, at what am I making go. You're the you're the you're the secret behind the sauce, whatever you want to call it. The reality is I need help and I need I need your dollars. So if you enjoy this work and you've been thinking about making a a paid subscription, now would be a great time to do that. You can sign up for as little as five bucks a month. You can become a monthly, a yearly, or a founding member. We would love to have you be part of the team, part of the cause. Of course, if you can't afford uh, a membership right now, you're always welcome to sign up for a free subscription. Nothing is paywalled at the moment. The more folks we can get to sign up who can afford paid subscriptions, the longer I can keep that paywall from going up. So please go over to what am I making? substack.com today and sign up for a paid subscription. It'd be a huge help. Thank you so much. The other thing that I want to remind you about is to make sure that you like, rate, and review this pod wherever you're listening, and make sure that you're subscribed. Maybe you're just listening to this through your email when you get it uh, through the Substack uh, subscription, or maybe you're listening to this uh, on the Substack app or uh, on the Substack website. But if you're listening in a player, please make sure that you're subscribed. The more subscriptions we get, for the pod, the more likely we are to show up in the algorithm for new listeners who might be, you know, like-minded folk who might be interested in music and culture and some of the other things that I talk about here in the space. All right, enough uh, plattering on plattering, plattering. No, uh, prattering. I wow, I can't even talk right now. Enough rambling. I'm going to get to the essay. Here we go. The minimum wage is a redistribution of wealth. No one can survive on 40 hours a week at minimum wage anywhere in the country. Workers around the country are toiling in poverty despite working full-time. Many cannot even afford housing. The federal minimum wage in the United States of America is just $7.25 an hour. By July of 2024, that figure of $7.25 will have been frozen in place for a full 15 years. While $7.25 was a paltry sum of money when that figure went into effect in July of 2009, 15 years later, it is worth far less. Even if folks making minimum wage were not allowed the privilege of any raise in the interim, 
That 2009 amount of $7.25 would need to be raised to $10.38 an hour just to keep pace with inflation. Observers might rightly point out that lots of states have enacted minimum wage requirements that are higher than that of the federal level. And this is true. In 30 states, the minimum wage threshold has been raised above the federal level of just $7.25. However, this means that there are still 20 states in which $7.25 is still the law of the land. And fewer than half of the states in this country have a minimum wage higher than the inflated rate of 1038 when you adjust the figure of 725 from 2009. Financial advisors and budget experts all suggest that housing should take up no more than 30% of a household budget. Everyone from Forbes to the National Low Income Housing Coalition have acknowledged that there is nowhere in the country that a minimum wage job is enough to secure housing for a full-time worker based upon this best practice. If we cannot afford to pay a full-time worker enough money to afford a place to live, why have a minimum wage at all? Many employers, especially larger employers, will encourage their employees to access government programs such as affordable housing, food stamp programs, welfare stipends, and other benefits. Walmart is famous for including access to these programs as a part of the way they train their staff when they are hired. They are well aware that the wage that Walmart is paying their employees is insufficient to provide even the most basic necessities for full-time workers. So, they take advantage of public dollars to pad their profits and exploit their staff. Walmart is just one of thousands of offenders gaming this system. This practice, while unethical, is currently legal. Furthermore, one would hate to cut off the limited resources that are the lifeline for so many of these low-wage workers. The programs designed to help the people in need are not the problem. The folks gaming the system sure as hell are. In the last 15 years, we have seen no movement in the federal minimum wage, but there have been huge changes in the workplace. As companies strive to make greater profits, they are running threadbare staffs in retail locations. See the great John Oliver piece on the way dollar stores are run and how they are staffed. Stores that might once have had six or eight employees on staff are now operating with just two, or in some drastic cases, even down to just one at a time. These efforts are being made to squeeze maximum profits from each location with no regard for the safety, dignity, or well-being of their employees. Not only are low-wage workers earning less due to 15 years of inflation, but they are often working in conditions that are unpleasant at best and unsafe at worst. Employees are now expected to work for lower wages than we have seen in this country in nearly a century, and they are expected to work in less stable and less secure environments as well. The workdays have largely gotten harder, more dangerous, and more unpleasant for the menial workers of this country. And they're doing it for less money than in generations. Critics might offer that no employers actually pay the minimum wage, that everyone pays above that. Fair enough. All the more reason to raise it then. If your economic theory on the going rate for hourly work is on the money, let's go ahead and codify it into law. Except lots of groups and associations have continually fought higher minimum wages tooth and nail. Seems like if everyone was paying more than the lowest legal amount, raising the minimum wage might not raise such a stink. 
perhaps instead of thinking about this from the standpoint of the employer and the value for his money, let us think of it from the standpoint of the worker and the value of her time, talent, and efforts. Let's work backward from our 30% of housing budget just to get an idea of where the wage should be. In my home state of Michigan, rent is in the middle of the pack as rates by state around the country are concerned. The average two-bedroom rental would need a wage of $21.65 an hour, more than twice our current minimum wage of $10.10. What is the point of even having a minimum wage if it isn't half of what you would need to rent an apartment? And yes, many households do have two incomes, but it should not be a requirement for one to be married, partnered up, or to have to find a roommate to afford housing for your rate of pay. If we cannot ensure that a full-time worker is able to afford a place to live and the ability to put food on the table without a handout from public assistance, why are we pretending to be upholding a certain standard of living at all? If we are going to legislate with this level of ineffectiveness and apathy, let us simply return to the days of child labor and 12-hour shifts six days a week. Perhaps we can return to other Gilded Age traditions like tenement housing with several families sharing a single apartment. Maybe these destitute workers could all share a barn or a stable. We've already removed most of the humanity from our low-level employees. Why bother even treating them like humans at all anymore? In keeping these wages so low and forcing hourly wage employees into federal and state assistance programs, we are redistributing the wealth of these workers back into the hands of families like the Waltons. But instead of subsidizing the avarice of the Walton family, we could force them to pay their workers a living wage instead of the bare minimum. In the state of Arkansas, where Walmart was founded and has its headquarters, housing is almost as cheap as anywhere in the nation. For a rate of just $16.27 an hour, you too can make enough to afford a two-bedroom apartment in Arkansas. The trouble is that even in Arkansas, minimum wage is only $11 an hour leaving you with a housing budget that sits way above 30%. Even in one of the most affordable states in the union, and one with a wage well above the federal minimum, the minimum wage would still need to be raised nearly 50% to afford rent at the regular budget rate. To give you a reference point, a worker in, a, in Arkansas making $11 an hour and working 40 hours a week should be spending no more than $528 a month on rent. While the housing situation in Arkansas is challenging, in expensive places like California, it is absolutely dire. An hourly worker needs to earn $42.25 an hour to afford the average rent in California. The California minimum wage, one of the highest in the nation, sits at $15.50, but it would need to nearly triple to make rent affordable. Surely the housing crisis is not the fault of the minimum wage, but the two are inextricably linked. Enforcing workers to spend greater percentages of their earnings on rent and in keeping their wages artificially low, there is a larger and more impoverished group of working Americans than at any time since the Great Depression. As food prices, housing costs, education, and healthcare have risen faster than the rate of inflation, wages have stagnated for the lowest rung of workers. All of the above examples are based upon full-time work at minimum wage or just above. And yet for many workers in this country, it can be difficult to even find full-time employment. To avoid paying benefits like health insurance, many employers keep their employees scheduled for less than 27 hours a week, 
Full-time workers, according to the Affordable Care Act, are defined as anyone working 27 and a half hours a week or more. For many low-wage workers, this means coordinating multiple jobs, usually in multiple locations. Securing regular hours and making regular shifts, making sure they can be met at various employers, is an additional series of challenges for an employee in this position. Having a second or even a third location for work also greatly increases the necessity for the employee to have access to a vehicle or reliable and affordable public transit. This is, of course, likely to add significant additional expenses into a monthly budget that is already overstretched. Where we had once built a thriving and vibrant middle class, we've now built a system where one can work 40 hours a week and still be left without a place to live. Is that really the minimum we want for ourselves? Cheers. Maddie C.